Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. And welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. My name is Jimmy Murphy. That's Pierre McGuire. And we've got another great guest for you today, legendary NHL broadcaster, analyst, and a man that had so much to do with the evolution of NHL broadcasting over the last 30 to 40 years. Uh, John Shannon will be joining us shortly here on the show. Looking forward to talking to him about just his history in, in the business and, and kind of the evolution of of the business, Pierre, and also some current events, namely something we can touch on right now, that big trade that went down between the Vancouver Canucks and the Calgary Flames last night, Pierre. That was a whopper. Yeah, no, it was a big one, no question. I think uh, now it puts a lot of pressure on some of the people in the Western Conference, whether it's the Edmonton Oilers, the Colorado Avalanche, the Los Angeles Kings, teams that think they have a legitimate chance, Dallas Stars, to win the Stanley Cup or compete for it. Now they're on notice that Vancouver's a real player in this thing. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Jimmy Rutherford doesn't let the market get established. He establishes the market. Yep. And so what's shocking to me, and I thought about this a lot, and I don't know how much you've talked about it, Jimmy, with other people today. Calgary's chasing for a playoff spot, right? Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah, they're they're, still, they're yeah. still alive. They're chasing. They've made true trades with the Vancouver Canucks. They traded Nikita Zadorov there, and they traded Elias Lindstrom there. I'm glad you're Lindholm, Lindholm, excuse me, Lindholm. Like, to me, I, I don't know why they're trying to help their enemy, but they are. Yeah, I, I think, Pierre, and, you know, I get into this uh, argument a lot when I'm talking about uh, the Boston Bruins' interest in Sean Monaghan, which I can confirm is there. Um, and people say, there's no way the Montreal – now, I know it's a much more bitter rival than the Canucks and the Flames. But they just look at me and they're like, hey, what are you, nuts? There's no way the Habs and the Bruins are going to make a trade together. That's taboo. That can't happen. It's a new era we're in, Pierre, as far as I'm concerned. Anything goes. And I think these trades between the Flames and Canucks have shown that. Um, I I like, you know, as you said, Rutherford's, uh, you know, ability to always get ahead of the market, his guts to pull off a big deal like this right now. But I also got to give a lot of credit to Craig Conroy because I think he got a pretty good haul back here. And as you just said, they are still in a playoff hunt, but he's not letting that Dieter, his mission to set them up better for the future than what they're at at this current moment. The marketplace for what he did is probably the highest pay from Vancouver. I understand. The problem is going to be if the attitude of the players that Calgary got, because nobody knows what the first round fix is going to be, but the attitude of the players that Calgary got better be the way the Calgarians want it to be. Yes. Because if it's not, that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Because now you still have to deal with Tanev, who's got the potential to be an unrestricted free agent. You still have to deal with Noah Hannafin, who's got the potential to be an unrestricted free agent. Everybody knows what happened with Johnny Goodrow when he left for nothing. And everybody knows of the disaster that was the Matthew Kachuk trade. So for Craig Conroy, I totally respect what he did because he had to do something. He can't keep losing players for nothing, even though that was on a previous general manager. The, the truth is, is that they better hope that the attitude of the players they got is going to be good. 
Yeah. And they're going to be coachable and they're going to be hard to play against and they're going to be tough guys and they're going to produce because if not, this is, this could be bad. Well, and, and that's a great point by you. And I mean, obviously if you're going to talk about questionable attitude, I think you immediately look at, you know, the key NHL player that they got in a deal uh, Kuzmenko who fell out of favor pretty fast with Rick Tockett, who we know demands a hundred percent work ethic every game and wants you to buy into the system. And by all accounts, he wasn't doing that. And so that's why he started to ride the pine a bit. And, um, you know, and that's why he waived his no movement clause, even though Calgary supposedly was on his, in his clause of a team he wouldn't go to. Uh, he just wanted to get out from under talk at there. So that, that to me is a little worrisome considering what you're talking about there, Pierre. So I think they're going to have to pull him aside. Maybe they already did. And say, look, we we know you had a rough go. You you butted heads with Rick, but we need you to buy in here. We need you to to get on board right away here, and we can't have that. Yeah, no, he was a star in St. Petersburg. Um, his last couple of years in the KHL, there's no question. I won't even try to pretend. And when I was working in Ottawa, we had significant interest in the player. Um, mm-hmm. I actually tried to get into St. Petersburg with our assistant GM at the time, Peter McTavish. We couldn't get travel visas to go because the war had just started with the Ukraine. So, you know, again, I I look at it and I see positives athletically. I think this is more of a deal where the only concern I would have, um, the attitude of the players going in and whether they'll be able to play at the intensity level that people in Calgary expect their better players to play at. Well, Pierre, you're right. And I don't know much. I won't pretend to know much about the man, the poor prospect whose name I might slaughter right now. I apologize ahead of time. Hunter Brustiswis? Did I get it right? No, but it's not an easy one to say. And I'm not even going to attempt it. All um, right. American kid that plays. He can rack up points. He's yeah, a, he, he sure can. He's an offense, offensive defenseman um, and part of the U.S. National Team Development Program, obviously playing in the Ontario Hockey League right now. Uh, very high, highly rated prospect. But again, until he's in the NHL, you don't know what you're getting. And you don't know what the first round pick's going to be. No. You have no clue what that's going to be. Um, so again, it, listen, just on paper right now, short term, the deal's won by Vancouver. Correct. Now, long term, we don't know. And, and people that are saying, oh, yeah, long term, we know Calgary's going to win. You don't know that. Nobody knows that. You know, I, I remember when the Yarmir Yager trade from Pittsburgh to Washington went down, and everybody's like, oh, Craig Patrick fleeced Washington. No, he didn't. Look at the three guys that Pittsburgh got. Yeah. <laughs> they would have much preferred to have Yarmir Yager. Yeah. So you, you got you got to be careful on all those things. Just- For sure. And and also too, I mean the other prospect too. You don't know much about. He's in Finland. He hasn't even played over here. Well, I've seen I've seen the player. I've seen the player. Yeah, player. No, I, a, I knew you would care. <laughs> he's, he's a big he's a big defenseman. He's defensively aware, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to be his con card. He's not getting points. There's no okay. points coming from that player. He's just a defensive player. But no, he he's got a chance. He's a part of the 2020 draft. And had the 2020 draft not been part of the COVID era. I'm convinced it could have rivaled. I'm not saying it would have been better, but it could have rivaled the 03 draft. The 2020 yeah. draft had a chance. What happened was a lot of kids didn't get picked in that draft later on that would have been real good players and are, are good players now because of COVID, and it yeah. just didn't equate. So that was one of the problems anyways. 
Um, and I want to say, Pierre, you mentioned it as, as we started off too, the ripple effect it will have on the market. I don't know about you, but if I'm Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon right now, I'm sitting here going. <laughs> oh, no, no, you're smart to do that, Jimmy. And I would agree with you. I think Kent and Jeff should be really excited, especially with what's coming out in New York right now. No Philip Hedel, obviously, for the rest of the year. Nick yep. Benino was sent down to the American Hockey League. This is a Ranger team that's been helter-skelter the last 30 days. I think everybody in the league knows that. Um, they're definitely needing some depth down the middle. Monaghan can be that guy. And so it's going to be interesting to see. Now, I think that Chris Drury's lucky that Jeff Gordon, who worked there before Chris got the job, uh, had been part of drafting along with Gordy Clark, some really good young players that are mm -hmm. filtering through the Rangers organization right now. Yeah. So, you know, if they're going to not want to give up roster players, they have some young guys they could trade to Montreal. But as we talked about off the air, Montreal needs certain things. Yes. They need offense, they need size, and they need guys that can compete physically. Yep. Those are the things they need. Rangers have some of that stuff. They do. they do. They do. And they also, apparently, Pierre, and I know you spoke about it with our friend Mitch Melnick in Montreal yesterday, you know, word leaks out. I don't know if it's coming from the Rangers or elsewhere, but word leaks out that Capo Caco, a guy who Gorton was involved in drafting second overall in 2019, uh, could be available. Um, my question to you, so that gets out, Pierre, is that, is that the Rangers just try, trying to generate more buzz around them and engage in talks and not necessarily talks that wind up zeroing in on a trade for Kako, but just to kind of open the floodgates and say, hey, we're open for business. We want to get something done. Or do you think he is truly available? No, it could be a couple of things. I think you've nailed both of them. You know, one, he might be available. I don't like to speculate on that stuff because sometimes there is information put out there just to open up the doors for business. But in this case, um, this is a player that's been hurt this year, most of this year. His numbers obviously haven't been good. Um, he's trending upward, though, the last couple games. But I would just say that potentially, Jimmy, uh, he's a player that would be in play. And I think maybe it's to try to open up the doors and create more of an auction situation. Monahan's going to be interesting because you correctly talk about Boston. I see that as a likely landing spot. New York mm -hmm. Rangers, I don't know why it wouldn't be with Hedl and Benino, that situation. Colorado. And then Colorado's a third one, 100%. And, and so the reason why I bring up Colorado, and again, I, I like the young man a lot. He played in Penticton, right near where our next guest is going to be from. Uh, John Shannon was from all, is from Oliver, British Columbia, just down the road from Penticton. And I like Ryan a lot, but Ryan hadn't done a lot there. You know, Jimmy, he just hasn't. He hadn't done a lot. And so they know to go to where Colorado wants to go, you're going to have to go through Edmonton. You're going to have to go through Vancouver potentially. You're going to probably have to deal with Dallas at some point. It's not going to be easy. And Winnipeg. I should never forget Winnipeg, by the way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you look at it, they might need some more artillery there at the center ice position, and Monaghan could be that guy. So there's three likely landing spots for him. I wouldn't say there's 20. I'd say there's probably three. Right. I want to ask you, too. I mean, we, we talk about, and we've got John now. We'll bring him in a second. But just think about this. We'll get back to it after, Pierre. Are we forgetting the defending champs when we talk about some of these trade scenarios and situations? Eichel's still out for a bit. And pretty, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, pretty much go right up until the deadline. A lot of things can happen in the standings and, and, and you know positioning for the playoffs between now and then. Should we look at them as maybe out for a center? So something to ponder. We'll get back to it after. 
No, I, I think definitely something to ponder. You know, the one thing we've learned from George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon and Mr. Foley, the owner, they don't stand pat. No. You know, <laughs> they're for real. And and I like the way they do their and business. I really do. It's a tough they'll way trade, to do business. They'll trade their brother. They'll trade their brother and their cousin. <laughs> their doesn't matter. They just want to win. And if you're a fan of that team, you're like, go get them, boys. Turn exactly. them loose. Um, exactly. But no, I really respect what Kelly's done there. I really, you know, I've known George a long time. I have a ton of respect for George. And the times I've had a chance to deal with Mr. Foley, and it's probably been, you know, a few more than most people, I've been blown away by his intensity and his passion for the game. He really is involved. All right. Well, let's bring in our featured guests here on Press Box Thursday on the ITES on the Sick Podcast Network. Joining us now is longtime NHL broadcaster, analyst, executive. He's done everything. John Shannon. How are you doing, my friend? I'm great, boys. How are you? By, by the way, Jimmy, that means I just can't keep a job. That's what that means. <laughs> no, that's I mean, a bunch of malarkey right now, I'll tell you. That's a bunch of malarkey. There are a lot of hats. That's all that means. <laughs> yeah, all, all, all for fun, man. Yep, yep. Good stuff, good stuff. So everything good? Oh, sure. Getting ready for All-Star Week here in Toronto. Just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to go to events, but the town seems to be geared up and... Uh, the, the red carpet's about to start, and uh, we're going to watch uh, uh, the guys. Hopefully, we see a little personality tonight. We see a little more personality tomorrow and figure out what's going on with the three-on-three on Saturday afternoon. Hey, John, are the fans more geared up for All-Star Weekend or for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, that's, you know, the, the, the Maple Leafs will trump everything uh, in this town. Um, in fact, I, I would tell you in the amount of times the league has tried to do events here, uh, they compete against themselves because the Maple Leaf brand is so strong uh, and that there's more concern about, you know, what's going on in goal. What they, what, you know, what is Brad going to do about the blue line? then they're worried about who's going to be on Connor McDavid's team uh, on the three-on-three tournament. Right. right. <laughs> I hear you. But how good is this, though, for, for a hockey market like that, a hockey city, uh, to get this? I mean, the last time must have been, was it the early 2000s, late 90s, somewhere around there? It was 2000. 2000, yeah. exactly, yeah. Okay. So, you know, it, it's got to be good. It, it must generate some buzz. It's a dead time of the year. It's got to be fun, at least, for the, the people around the city. That's a great question. Um, you, you know, th- this is such a mature hockey market, mm-hmm. um, and 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 the juxtaposition between the two, you know the two mature hockey markets in North America, and I'm going to you know apologize to Boston and Detroit and Chicago and New York, but are Toronto and Montreal. For sure, I agree with that. And um, there's a different passion for hockey in Montreal than there is in Toronto. Mm-hmm. There is an outward enthusiasm for hockey, well, throughout the province of Quebec. In Toronto, it's, you know, it's still the low-key thing to be cool about hockey. It's different here. Okay. Uh, whether it's the corporate world that has created that. Now, that's not to say the hardcore fan doesn't exist here. 
the hardcore fan exists here more than any other place, but they don't necessarily get access to everything that the VIPs will get access to. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily feel it as much. And there's almost, uh, and even though the team has not won the Stanley cup since 1967, there's a, uh, there's a, a coolness, trying to stay cool and calm and collected over it here, as opposed to the pure outward enthusiasm and passion in Montreal. Is that fair, Pierre? That's more than fair, and I think it's extremely well said. John, I have to ask you, not long ago, a good friend of yours and mine, Keith Pelly, was hired by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. We talk about Toronto Maple Leafs and the Raptors and the Argonauts and soccer and everything else. How big a hire is that for MLSE? Well, they, you know, they've they've needed a really strong CEO um, since Tim Liwicki left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the people that own this conglomerate are, you know, the two telephone companies in Canada, you know, telephone and cable companies, um, uh, Rogers and Bell, and then Larry Tannenbaum owns twenty five percent. And and for our American friends, that that's comparable to saying that uh, Comcast and uh, AT&T are, are, are partners in the same company with another guy. And, and, and it, it, only in Canada would this exist. Um, <laughs> but what has to happen now is that somebody has to create a, a you know, a, a, a common goal, a leadership. And I expect that's what Keith is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Liwicki did a magnificent job of galvanizing the company and putting it on the right foot. And, and creating opportunities for Brendan Shanahan to thrive on the on the hockey side and Masai Ujiri to thrive on the basketball side and, and others. Um, they have lacked that for a while, and I think that they need that point person uh, that uh, deals directly with Brendan, deals directly on the NBA side in order to create uh, a little more focus um, on championships here. And uh, right now, you know, five years ago, this was a, a place where the Maple Leafs were on the cusp of greatness and the basketball team did have did create greatness. Uh, that's not necessarily the case right now. And I think that there are people inside the company concerned. Let me ask you, you talked about and, and I, I find that interesting because sometimes they always do uh, get ahead of themselves there in Toronto when a team's doing well. But they're keeping their calm now, John. But if this doesn't at least get them to a conference final, let's say, in the playoffs. I don't know if maybe I'm shooting too high, um, but gets them to a conference final. And if it doesn't do that, where does that leave Brendan Shanahan? Because from afar, I'm just going to be blunt. Sometimes I I think of him as Teflon Shanahan when it comes down to it. And I I wonder, is it going to fall on him now with a new GM already in place? Well, I don't think so. Um, Simply because, I mean, if, uh, you, you know, Brendan was the one who brought Brad in, mm-hmm. um, you know, this Brendan's fingerprints are all over this organization. Um, and, you know, what Brendan has created is stability. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times, heck, even, you know, after Pat Quinn left, um, there were questions of stability on, on lots of sides at MLSE. Uh, Brendan created that stability and he deserves credit for creating that stability. So I, I don't, I don't see that being uh, the outward thing. It's, it's amazing what happens in, in our world today. And a lot of it's 
the impatience of the world, the short attention spans well, of people, yeah. um, is they don't, uh, they think, well, it's not working. Let's fire the guy. Right. Let's see, get rid of him. Well, you know yeah. what? Who's going to go in? Yeah. Um, and we I, answer that when they say sometimes that. great, great leaders have great leaders have to show patience. Yes. And sometimes we, we don't see that patience. And I suspect that there is an impatience here uh, with the lack of playoff success. Uh, but at the same time, I think you have to look at all the other things that Brendan has put in place to say, well, maybe we are going in the right direction. Um, and maybe some of the onus is actually on the players. Yeah, that's a great point. John, I love the fact you use the word great. And I'm going to use the word great to describe you. And one of the things that you did that I thought was so great, John, and you know that we've been friends a long time, the greatness that you worked with, the development of John Davidson, the development of Mary Neal, the development of Joe Micheletti, you actually worked with Scotty Bowman, you had Bob Cole in the booth, you actually worked with Don Cherry, you are great friends with our good friend, Dave Hodge. So you worked with greatness, but you cultivated greatness. How'd you do it, John? Can I swear on this uh, podcast? um well i I think if you talk to uh, to many of my friends i think they'd just say well there's a no bullshit approach Mm -hmm. you know and i I, the one thing i would tell you is there's there's you don't manage every person the same way um athletes can be managed in a much more direct way than quote unquote regular broadcasters can athletes are used to having negative and critical feedback. Most broadcasters aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I found myself in the, in the middle being able to manage broadcasters in a certain manner and ex-athletes in, a, in another manner. And I, and, and I, I think they appreciated my directness. Um, the, the other thing I think, Pierre, that is really important, and this is not just me, but this is a lesson that I, I try to tell other people is, we, we still have to remember, with all those great people you talked about, um, we have to remember who we're doing this for. Mm-hmm. Like who, are we, who are, I mean, w- when we have this conversation, we're, you know, it, it's really nice to talk to you guys. I mean, I enjoy it. But uh, hopefully we're doing it for an audience that will actually learn something and glean something and walk away saying, hey, that was kind of cool. Yeah. And... That's what we when we when we broadcast hockey or any sport. Hockey's, I guess, my strength. Um, you know, we we have to understand we are doing it for the viewer at home. Who and who is that viewer? The viewer could be nine. There's Gary Bettman. He's bugging me again. Um, uh, there, you know, it, it could be a, a viewer that's nine years old. It could be a viewer that's ninety years old. Mm-hmm. And that's the real challenge. There are so many broadcasters in in that time period that you were talking about with the guys I worked with, Pierre, um, and today that I don't think they really understand who they're talking to. Yeah, I really don't think. And, and if you sat down and had a beer with them and 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 looked them in the eye and said, "By the way, who are you talking to when you get on the air? Are you talking to your Are you talking to your ex teammates? Are you trying to get a job? Are you?" Uh, are, are you talking to other coaches? Who are you talking to? And once the the person acknowledges that he finally understands who he's supposed to be talking to, mm-hmm. the switch flicks. 
That's great. The switch goes on. You know, God, I, I watched, and I not to tell tales, I watched TNT last night, mm-hmm. and uh, Craig Berube was on on the panel. I like Craig. I've known Craig since he was a player, right? Um, but but he's he started to talk about F one in deep. This is one of my pet peeves these days. Uh, he started to talk about F one in deep. Okay, fine, that's great. How many viewers really understand? You know, even in football, do you understand the difference between the A gap and the B gap and the C gap? I mean, do they understand? The answer is they don't understand it. So you have to put it in perspective and in place so the guy at home can go, wow, that's cool. That's what we need to do with the business. And that has, I think that has been my approach from the time I was, when I started as a teenager at hockey night. And, and one of the reasons for that, Jerry, is that I, um, I've never played the game. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I, I and I have only watched the game as a viewer. And so, if you can get me, yeah, you can get anyone. And yep. that's really we do. We do too many things that we put our blinders on. We talk to hockey people. You're not going to grow the game if you're if you're talking that way. You're not, and it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. All great points. I also wonder, John, too, and maybe you can kind of answer this: is how much has social media also changed what you're talking about there in terms of who we're talking to? Because I sometimes I feel like when I'm watching a broadcast as well, there sometimes the broadcaster is talking more to what's happening on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, or instead of just the general, general audience. And I, I wonder if that's kind of clouded things as well. I don't, I don't think it's helped. Because I think they, I think people have lost focus, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, you know just as much as forget about the guys in the booth or the guys on in the studio, but you know the guys in the corner office have been paying attention more to X than they have been to what their broadcasters are doing. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I think it's a fact. Uh, I think there are listen, there are lots of great ideas that come out of social media, mm-hmm. but you have to be able to distill those and filter those with some of the other crap, and that's hard to do. You, yeah. you, you know, you, you, you know, I'd love to sit here and say every time somebody talks to me on social media, I really enjoy the compliments. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you're going to take the compliments, you yeah. better be prepared to take the criticism, too. Yeah. So. So. And in the end, I think once you once you go on the air and you believe in what you're doing, you understand what you're doing, you think what you're doing is, is the right thing and you're talking in a manner that people understand I probably don't think you should pay attention very much to social media. Jimmy, when John was born in uh, Oliver, British Columbia, there was no social media, so we didn't need to worry about that. Hey, Jimmy, (laughs) when I was born in Oliver, British Columbia, we had one TV channel. (laughs) One. And it was a big night out was going going up the road north to Penticton, and maybe it got into Kelowna, eh, John? Maybe Uh, we had one TV channel, and it was the CBC. (laughs) And God bless the CBC. There you go, love it, John. You know, you've one of the things that I learned, and I want to be transparent here, Jimmy. I worked some games with John in the truck, and it was the tidiest truck you could ever work with as a broadcaster. Mm -hmm. Everything was organized, it was structured, and it was professional. It was really good. I loved it. Amazing times, especially when we were doing Toronto games. But, John, one of the things I always remember, I think you said it, maybe you passed it on from somebody else, 
show how the goal goes in. Yeah, that was the most easy important thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is what if anybody's been talking to me the last six months, they've they've heard the same stories. Um, there are three. There are three. There there are two things that really has to happen. If you're a viewer or a listener, uh, uh, there are two things that really have to happen. I want to see the puck go in the net. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. You want to see the puck go in the net. Imagine <laughs> just just imagine imagine this. Don't overthink. Just let me see the puck go in the net. And I want to hear my play-by-play guy say, he shoots, he scores. Mm-hmm. That's all I want. Yeah. If you can do that, you now have the foundation for a broadcast that might be acceptable. The yeah. second part of this is, um, in, in building a television show, you've got the puck in the net. You've got the announcer saying he shoots, he scores. And now we better show why and how the puck got there. Mm-hmm. So you need, you know, our sport, our sport is so simple, really, to, to televise and to think about. Tell me where the turnover was. Show me the turnover. You know, mm-hmm. we all talk, you know, Pierre, when he was a coach, every coach in the world talks about, hey, we got, you know, we got good, we got good transition. We got great transition. This is about transition. So show me the transition. Yeah. Show me where the puck was turned over and I will show you who's out of position. I will show you where the puck went and I will show you how it got in the net. Simple common sense rules, I, I, and those happen. That second one, or the the replay rule, really was um, a compilation of years and years and years of discussion with uh, announcers that I worked with, uh, and they taught me. I didn't teach them; they taught me because they would say, "I'm trying to show this because that's where the flow changed." and so, okay, so what does that mean? Where do we need to go with that? And that's hours and hours on airplanes and in, and in uh, airport terminals of talking to Gary Dornhofer, talking to Harry Neal, uh, talking to guys that, uh, ha- talking to Howie Meeker, uh, who I, I worked with for years. Wow. Those conversations <laughs> away from the game about how to make us better don't exist. They don't happen very much anymore. And, and that, those are the types of things that really need to happen. I'm with you. I love all well of said. it. Well said. John, I want to I wanna go down a little memory lane here and right now. And, you know, yesterday, just to preface this, yesterday, um, Pierre and I and, and Bruce Boudreaux discussed kind of how much at the time when, they, you know, when they came back from the, the nuclear winter and that lockout, Sid and Ovi really helped hockey especially on tv and and getting the american audience back into it but i want to go back right now to the impact maybe originally that gretzky and lemieux had so i'm going to take you back to a a pivotal moment in wayne gretzky's career and maybe if you could just tell me what started to happen in terms of broadcasting after this moment and this is the first stanley cup there by gretzky guys for the production crew been said in the past about these Edmonton Oilers that they haven't won anything yet. When you talk about the product of the Oilers of Edmonton in the regular season past, they haven't won anything yet. Hmm. Well, they look like a happy group down there now. They've won something now. Folks, there's a new butts on the block in the National Hockey League. The Edmonton Oilers, by name, the Oilers have won the Stanley Cup.
So I love that call, by the well, way. Well, I tell you what, I uh, I don't, I mean, you, you might get me crying here. <laughs> um, I produced that game. Yes, oh wow! Did. I didn't even know it. Oh no! I, 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 I produced that game. I I had been I had been sent to Western Canada uh, to be the uh, the senior producer for all four Western teams in 1980, and so it was the greatest career move I ever made. Uh, I got to go to do the Stanley Cup final for a decade because there was always a Western Canadian team in the yeah. Stanley Cup final, <laughs> whether it was Calgary or Vancouver or 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 Edmonton. Um, so. Uh, actually, before I before I come, came on with you guys, I was reading an article in on one of the uh, business websites about sports, and they were they were explaining how many cameras they're going to use at the Super Bowl on the eleventh, uh-huh. and I think the numbers realistically close to a hundred. Wow. <laughs> well, we did that game, which was Game Five of the Stanley Cup Final uh, in nineteen eighty four. Uh, we did that. Uh, we did that game with seven cameras. <laughs> seven. Wow. And by the way, everybody saw the puck go in the net. Everybody heard Schutze scores. Everybody, I think, saw everything that went on on the ice. Yeah. Uh, and it was uh, it was a uh, an amazing time. To go back to your original question. Yeah. Um, just like everything else, Wayne changed the world. Wayne mm-hmm. changed television because what you needed to do was dedicate enough technical equipment, camera, videotape machine. Um, to make sure that you knew where Wayne was all the time. And there were lots of people that, you know, say have claimed they invented isolation, isolated replays. I think it goes back to Ralph Mellonby at hockey night before me. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to ISO the slot all the time. That was easy to do, but every game that Wayne played in Edmonton, for the most part, we isolated a single camera and went wherever Wayne went. Wow. And so you, and, and so he, and, and we, we created, and we started to do that with other, because we had other great teams. We started to do that with other teams too. If it was good enough for Edmonton and Wayne, isn't it good enough for Lanny and Calgary? Mm-hmm. And so we, so that's, but that's the foundation of the what I we describe as the superstar camera, nice. uh, which is what we called it in 1980, the superstar reel of 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 highlights and the isolated replays. Really, Wayne drove that boat, uh, and then so then the then the second tier of that was well. If Wayne's not on ice, he's on the bench. Well, well, we might as well put that camera on Mark, you know. And so Mark Messier got that attention. And yep. then a, a mutual friend of ours um, in Toronto, uh, Mark Askin, um, who Pierre knows well, uh, was doing the Maple Leafs in the late '80s and had worked with us uh, for a couple of years at Global Television doing playoffs. Um, he'd started to do the same thing with Wendell Clark. And Wendell Clark wasn't as scoring prolific as, as Wayne or Mark, but Wendell Clark was a, a physical behemoth. Yeah. Uh, and I always tell Wendell, and I tell Mark this, because the way Mark covered Wendell, Mark Askin made Wendell Clark a millionaire because you saw on television Wendell Clark's impact. Yeah. And it had nothing distant to do where the, where the puck was, but you saw Wendell's impact. And that would have only happened because there was a conscious decision, a production decision, to cover a certain player a certain way away from the puck. Because our game, as you guys know, our game is our game is different than basketball or football. Mm-hmm. Our game is a game of flow, and so much happens away from where the puck is in order for things to actually get close to the net and in the net. 
And you have to have people that understand that. And, you know, Mark Askin certainly in his time was one of those guys that understood that too. That's awesome. So you go ahead um, up until between then and 91, I'm wondering how much did the game grow on TV in the United States? Well, you know, another one I went over my sidelights, Jimmy, was that uh, in 1989, the NHL went to Sports Channel America. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, they paid a rights fee sports channel, which was owned by the Dolan family, Rainbow, James Dolan's dad, Charles, Dr. Charles. They paid $17 million a year for the rights. Um, uh, they did not make any money. They, I'm sure they didn't make a penny over the four or five years they had the contract. But a few of us did make money because we got hired to produce the games. So <laughs> I moved from the Canadian side to produce network hockey in the United States, which was a a huge treat for me. I loved, I loved doing it because I think it allowed us to try to show people how the game should be produced on television. Not many people saw it, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because of distribution issues. But I think that we did a pretty good job of explaining the game, including a couple of Pittsburgh Penguin Stanley <laughs> Cup championship series where somebody was behind the bench with Scotty. It's <laughs> At least in one of them. One, yeah. one with Badger, one with Scotty, right? Yeah. Let's, go, let's go to this one right here and I with uh, Badger behind the bench. This is 1991 when Mario gets his first cup. Kevin Stevens. Stevens shoots it back to center with five, four, three. Time runs out. The Stanley Cup has come to the city of Pittsburgh. The 1991 Stanley Cup champions, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, that was the great Mike Lang on the local oh, show. Uh, and, and so the, so the rules of engagement have changed. You know, the national game in the United States on Sports Channel America wasn't seen in either the state of Minnesota or the city of Pittsburgh. It was wow. seen everywhere else. So how are your ratings going to be any good if you don't have the two passionate places that are watching the hockey? Um, but uh, that was that uh, that was a, a game at the Met Center in in mm-hmm. Minnesota and in, 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 in Bloomington. I, I did that game for the network as well. And um, uh, that was an eight nothing victory, as I recall. You are correct, sir. Uh, and um, Mario. Um, Mario was not a hundred percent because if you recall the game before, I think he missed it because of back spasms. Uh, and they actually, somebody actually had to tie his skates up to go out and play the game. And in, I want to say game five, is that what that was? Was that game five too? Yes. Yeah, yeah. it might've been. I, I, yeah, the one thing Jimmy, I will tell you after doing, you know, Stanley cup finals in the thirties, you lose track of how many games are played. <laughs> how many games are played sometimes. I hear you. I hear well, you. That, 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 those are awesome stories. I wanted to ask you about one of the great storytellers on Canadian TV, and we heard his voice on the Edmonton clip, Bob Cole. Most Canadians know his voice. Yeah. They don't know much about him. I know you do. Tell us oh, about Bob, Bob Cole. Cole. I love Bob Cole. Um, uh, Bob lives in St. John's, Newfoundland, still does. Just turned 90 this past summer. Um, you know, he's uh, he was a proud Newfoundlander uh, and uh, really cut his teeth through the years on Canadian radio. Uh, was the voice of the famous Summit Series in 1972 on radio in our country. Wasn't the voice on television because that was Foster Hewitt. Uh, and then Bob was identified by somebody within the CBC and, and by my old boss, Ralph Mellaby, to make that transition. And what we really needed 
and why Bob got the break was that we were identified by city by announcer. If you did, if there's a game in Montreal, it had to be Danny Gallivan, mm-hmm. and if it was in Toronto, it had to be Bill Hewitt. Well, we needed somebody to transcend that, and that's why Bob became that third guy in Eastern Canada. And of course, at that point in the late '70s, when I started, we had Jim Robson, who was identified as that guy in Vancouver for the Canucks. But I still quote Bob Cole. When you talk about lessons, I still quote Bob Cole because Bob taught me so much about the art of broadcasting and when to be intense, when to anticipate. You know, is a is a as a one nothing goal in the seventh minute of the first period as important as a one nothing goal in the seventh minute of the third period? And the answer is, well, of course it's not. Well, then how do you? How do you use your voice? How do you how do you get excited to one level in the first and get more excited with this with the with a one nothing goal in the third? And that's the challenge of being a quality broadcaster because what you hear now is this people just screaming. Yeah. And so, and, and and screaming right. screaming is not necessarily excitement. Yeah. And we have we've lost we've lost that a little it's bit right a story. now. It used to almost be a flowing story. Well, I, there's five stages of broadcasting in Bob Cole's world. Five stages. Yeah. You know, so stage five doesn't happen very often, but you heard it there when there was a new bunch on the block and they're yep. called the Edmonton Oilers. Jimmy, I'm standing in the Molson Center at the time it was called in Montreal. Now it's the Bell Center. Yep. And I was ready to do my first ever regular season NHL radio game with Dino Sisto at CJD Radio. We had done all the preseason games. Okay. And all of a sudden, and I had known Bob from my days of coaching. And Bob comes in and knocks on the door, and he says, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. And he goes, I listen to all the preseason games on the radio, because he did a lot of Montreal games and Toronto games. Uh He said to me, keep telling the truth. (laughs) Don't change. Love it. Keep telling the truth. (laughs) So I never stopped. That's great. God bless. He says, don't let them editorialize you. Keep telling the truth. I said, okay, yeah. Bob, I will. You know, I want to ask too, now when, you know, when Mario comes in, he wins another there, you know, mm-hmm. and he becomes another superstar for the game, John. Um, how much did it help to have somebody on Gretzky's level continuing into the 90s in terms of broadcasting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and the answer is not as much as you'd think. Okay. And, and the, and the, and the real answer is because Mario didn't have an appetite to do it. Mm. And, and, and that's not, and, and that's not being critical. That's, that's reality. Um, you, you know, the, the, the one thing about Wayne Gretzky and whether it was what Walter or Phyllis taught him, uh, Wayne was always on that pedestal. Mm-hmm. Wayne managed it brilliantly to this day manages it brilliantly. Wayne understands that beyond shooting the puck and skating and scoring that he has a role to play in growing the game and understanding the game. Um, respectfully, I, I don't think Mario had that same approach. I think Mario was, and some can say he was a better hockey player. But Mario's concern was winning hockey games. Hundred percent. That's spot on. That and is it wasn't. It, it was not to market the game. It was not to grow the game. It was not to sign autographs. 
you know, and that's the difference between the two guys. Okay. You know, I mean, look at Mario today. This game has made Mario millions comfortable for and his his children and his grandchildren for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure he has done uh, marvelous things. His his foundation is worth its weight. His foundation at Pittsburgh is just is, is a brilliant stroke of of charity. But um he has not marketed himself. Wayne has marketed himself mm-hmm. uh, in hel- in order to help the game. I, I still, as an aside, I still remember standing at Gordy House funeral. I have a picture here somewhere of Wayne. Oh, yeah. here, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I have the, so here, this is a picture uh, of oh, me wow. and Wayne at Gordy's funeral. Wow. Okay. So, and he's telling, and he's telling me at this time, you know what? We're going to miss Gordy because Gordy did so many things to help grow the game well after he played. Mm-hmm. And and in his own way, he was saying, I guess it has to be me now. And he has taken that mantle. Yeah. So, and, and I don't, and again, I'm not being critical of Mario. Mm-hmm. No, you just it's don't. Just, it's yeah. just different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, we did the All-Star game in 1990 and, in in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. and oh, where Mario put three past Mike Vernon before he could have a second glass of wine. Um, <laughs> or did I say that? So, um, and um, and and Mario did like Mario didn't want to do an interview between periods. Mario wouldn't want to do that. Mario just he just wanted to play the game. Yeah, and that's that's the difference. Okay, so that's the difference. It's, and and it's it, you know from purely. A, uh, how did he help grow the game from a television perspective? The games were electric. Yeah. But yeah. as you guys know, you, you in this day and age, and even in the 90s, you, you need more than just what happens on the 200 by 85. All right. Well, let's go to these two that, as I said before, I, I think, I, I don't know if saved the game in broadcasting is too strong, but they, in my eyes, they became – Pretty damn close to doing that, and that's Sid and Crosby. So let's go to these highlights of Sid and Crosby. I mean, Sid and uh, Ovi. I have to think that Crosby and Ovechkin will come together early in this third period, right in front of you, Pierre. You had it. He had a great vantage point, right in front of the bench. Ovechkin with a little bit of a rub, but then Crosby give him a shot. What Ovechkin did really wasn't out of the ordinary, but then Ovechkin grabs Crosby from behind, and all they did was have lip service, and there's Pierre standing there right in between the benches. And goodbye to Crosby as he heads back to the bench, and his taunting continues as they stay perfect against the Pens. We got action here. Ovechkin and Crosby. Crosby says, why don't you fight him? Ovechkin says, why don't you fight me? <laughs> Stop talking, he says. Oh, well, it'll be fun tonight, Eric. All right, that's good, guys. So that rivalry right away, out of the gate, I think helped the game so much. John, I'm just wondering, Pierre, you were there too, obviously, right there in that moment. Um, just your opinion on what they did to kind of boost it and get it going to where we are today. 
Oh, I, listen, uh, and, and, and just for the record, my world changed at that period of time, too, because I went from being a regular television producer and a guy in, on the media side to being the vice president of broadcasting for the NHL at yep. the same time. Mm-hmm. So was able to try to, you know, ha- be a little more involved in a, in a different way be- when Washington and Pittsburgh were such good teams. Um, and, and both of those guys, um, did magnificently for hockey, you know, again, one, it's, it's really quite funny because Alex is the outgoing one and Sid's the low key one. And yet, you know, both of them, when they get their competitive juices going, it became like that every night. It, 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 maybe in some way, um, it's our version of magic and bird. I said that yesterday. They're oh, great minds think alike. Well, <laughs> yes, fools seldom differ. <laughs> but and 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 but the the challenge becomes in our sport, um, is that our our greatest players still only play twenty two or twenty three minutes of the sixty. Yeah. yeah, you know when Tom Brady was at the top of his game for the Patriots. He was touching the ball 85 to 90 times, whether it's to throw it or hand it off, mm-hmm. you know, and, and our sport doesn't just doesn't allow for that. You know, when 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 the Celtics are at their best, you know, there are guys playing 42 minutes of 48. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. So what they did uh, was was truly magnificent. They had great supporting staffs, too, though. You know, that was part of what the Penguins and the Caps were so good about when you think of the Backstroms and Kuznetsovs and Malkin and Latang yeah. were such a big part of the success of, of everything that the Penguins and the Caps did. Yeah. John, we talk about all these great players, Gretzky, Lemieux, Ovechkin, Crosby. Who are the best ones today? Well, I'm biased. Uh, I still actually do a little bit of work. Uh <laughs> Although I just a little bit, I still do a little bit of work. I, I get uh, to, to be around Connor McDavid um, on the television side. Um, and I, 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 you know, and I still watch probably 800 games a year. Um, so I, I, you know, I, and Nathan McKinnon jumps out. Those mm-hmm. two guys are spectacular. One, One's a, one's a secretariat and the other one's a locomotive. Yep. Um, uh, so I, li- I like both of those guys, but, uh, you know, you know, I live in Toronto, so I see Austin Matthews who might have the greatest shot in the game today. Um, you know, I, the depth of stars in hockey right now, I think is its greatest attribute. Mm-hmm. You know, how can I sit here and not talk about how great David Pasternak is? I, you can go through almost every team in our league and talk about two or three guys that said, wow, this guy's a game changer. And isn't yeah, that, there, and there wasn't good. game changer. When Pierre was, you know, behind a bench. Yeah. Or even when he was at St. Lawrence pretending to be important. Um, <laughs> you, you know. We didn't have we didn't have two or three superstars on every team, and and third and fourth liners were they weren't there to actually be able to shoot the puck. Right. Uh, the depth of players, the talent of players that we have now is so deep, and I think that is the greatest attribute of the NHL right now is that there's there's so much great talent, and yeah. that's that's exciting. Now, 
I'm Canadian and I'm, you know, I'm worried about our goaltending because there are great goaltenders and with all due respect, none of them are Canadian. Yeah. Um, but, the, but, but, but from a position from, from, from goaltender to defense, I mean, gosh, there are so many great players. I get, I, I did not know how good Matthias Ekholm was. I saw him play in Nashville. I watched him firsthand and said, yeah, he's a good player. Well, they always had great defensemen and, and still do in Nashville. But now I've got to see Matias Echo and play a lot, and I'm going, oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. This guy is a monster, right? Yep. Pierre, yeah. he's a monster. Well, he's a monster. <laughs> Jimmy, I just got to ask John this one because he knows everything about the Western part of Canada and the Western part of hockey because he's not lying. He does watch that many games because sometimes earlier in my life I used to talk to him about them. <laughs> but, anyways, how about Vancouver, John? Are you, first of all, are you surprised by them? And secondly, how about Vancouver with two American-born goalies and Thatcher Demko and Casey DeSmith? Oh, uh, I think we lost him. Do we lose you? How's that? Is that better? That's uh, better. Good. Okay, so, well, I said, first of all, you have to give Jim Benning credit for drafting Thatcher Demko. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Jim Benning, by the way, Jim Benning's fingerprints are over that Canuck team as a as a – a scout. He was a magnificent scout, probably is still a great scout. Doesn't get enough credit for, for the foundation he built there. Um, I thought they would contend for a playoff spot. I did not think they would contend for the president's trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that they've come this close, you know, as well as I do that Jim Rutherford is pedal to the metal mm-hmm. and <laughs> there's only one thing he's going for. And that's yep. to win the Stanley cup. And Agreed. so he will he will mortgage a little bit of the future in order to be there for the present, and at this point it looks like a good decision. But you know he's you know there's still more than thirty games to go before the regular season ends, and dare I tell people in Boston that you can do lots of great things in the regular season, and it doesn't necessarily turn out in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy, let me ask John one more because he's really close to it. You already referenced Matthias Ekholm. Yeah. I know you're close with the people in Edmonton. Knobloch and Coffee. Are you surprised they've had such a big impact on the team? Um, I knew they were good. I don't think anybody knew that Chris Knobloch would be 26 and six after 32 games. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've joked about this before. The one thing about Chris is there are days I'd like to go into the office and grab his wrist and try to find a pulse. Because he is just so level-headed, and I yeah. think I think there's a place for that in hockey to oh, be yeah. le- to be level-headed. Um, and I think there's a no-nonsense approach with Paul Coffey, who has, you know, made Darnell Nurse the player that we expected Darnell Darnell Nurse to be at nine point two five million dollars. Yeah. Um, and there and, and Paul is again looking in the eye. You know what you, you know what you did wrong, right, Darnell? Yeah, I do. Well, don't do it again. Yeah, he's not getting heck. It's just it's 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 a a genuine direct approach. There's not much video. There's there's not much specialty stuff done. It's you know here's the system. Just do it. We want you to be aggressive. We want you to use the center of the ice, and we we want you to be able to understand that when you have the puck in the defensive zone, it's not. We that we want you to worry about what to do when you move it up the ice. We want to make sure that you know what to do when you lose the puck. Mm-hmm. Be prepared for 
You know, it's almost like driving defensively. They yeah. are they have really done a good job of teaching them how to drive defensively. And I think that's a big part of their success. He's got the Jimmy, same. We got we gotta let John go, Jimmy. Yeah. We're keeping him on too long. Sure. Well, I'm gonna get a check here. I'm gonna get a bill from him soon. Uh, <laughs> you know what? You know what? I, I not you know you know I people will say well there isn't a microphone that Shannon hasn't liked so um, <laughs> but uh, we can always do it again boys we anytime will. appreciate it John we love the John Shannon approach and uh, I will <laughs> apply that as well uh, thanks for joining us enjoy the weekend up there and enjoy the hockey going forward we definitely will get you on again always great to talk hockey with people from Boston all right appreciate it wow. thanks John. <laughs> 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 the great John Shannon. You didn't say from Montreal, Pierre. No, I, I got thrown into the bot, which is fine. I'm proud to say that I live in Boston. That's fine. But I grew up in Montreal, but that's okay too. <laughs> he always takes he always gets one good parting shot on oh, me. It's good. good. It's I like all good. Yeah. I, I will like tell it. you this though, Jimmy. I, I did a bunch of games. Um, some were in Montreal with John and some were in Toronto. And I work with some really good producers, you know, Dougie Walton, who does the Toronto Blue Jay games yeah. now. Uh, you know, I can go down the line. Uh, you look at Sam Flood at NBC, Matt Marvin at NBC, Josh Friedenberg at NBC. I mean, so many, so many really, really good producers over my career. It, it was amazing to see when John was in the big chair how things played out. It really, it was amazing. And he talked about Mark Askin. I will tell you this right now. Mark Askin may have been the most creative producer I ever worked with. Mark was outstanding, just outstanding. Well, I love that he thought he thought to focus away from the puck here, you know, because I, I find too much. When I was younger watching games, I would notice that too. I was always saying in the back of my head, well, how the heck did that happen? Yeah. But then they figured that out, and then you can see, okay, this is what led to that, and this is why it happened. And it's exactly like John said that he he introduced yeah. that. So. The template, the template that was used unbelievably well and successfully at NBC for 16 years, came from Canada. Yeah, and it was Sam Flood being a fan of what was going on at TSN and also at Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I'll tell you too. I remember I've, I've crossed paths with John. It's the first real heart to heart I've had with him. But he he knew Russ Conway well, who you know is yeah, yeah, near and dear to my heart. And he used to rave about this guy, man. I mean, he used to tell Jimmy, this is one of the smartest guys. I'm telling you, when you see that happen, that's because of John Shannon. That's why that ha it was. So I'm sitting here thinking as we're talking, I was thinking of Ross all those times. He used to tell me that he was a very instrumental here. That was a, that was one of our, I have to say, I'm going to be blunt since John likes to be blunt. That's one of our best interviews. I think so far. Well, Cause he's, he's such a pro. I wasn't messing around. I, I'm just throwing the names out there cultivated John Davidson, cultivated Harry Neal, cultivated Joe Micheletti, taught Scotty Bowman about broadcasting, worked with Bob Cole, had to deal with Don Cherry every single week and did a magnificent job. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm going to say it right now. I'm friends with Don. Like, I, I remember sitting in Sochi with him. I want to say it was his 80th birthday. And it was just mm -hmm. he and I having breakfast in Sochi. And I remember him saying to me, people think I'd be unhappy here. This is what he said to me. He says, I can't believe I'm here. I'm so excited to do these games. Don Cherry was this passionate hockey man. He loves hockey. He loves everything about hockey. And then Dave Hodge, and I didn't get a chance to talk to John about it. I don't understand the rules. I, I don't vote on that in the Hockey Hall of Fame stuff. Dave Hodge 
is as good a broadcaster as there ever was on either side of the border in so many sports, so yeah. many. I, the fact he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame is shocking to me. Yeah. It's absolutely shocking. And and I, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to leave it out there. And I know some people get mad not. Dave Hodge was as good as there was yeah. ever, I, ever. I'm in complete agreement with you, Pierre. And I'm going to say this too, and people might not like it, but I believe it to be the truth. Too much politics. That's it is what it is. And he should have a Foster Hewitt Award. He really should. I, 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 should, Don, I should Don Cherry, by the way. You, Don look, you look at the, the numbers, the ratings, when Don Cherry spoke, whether you liked him or didn't like him, yep. people watched and people yep. listened. Yeah. I'm going to tell you here. I'll never forget one of, uh, one of the coolest moments. I The first time I was ever in Montreal uh, to cover a game, I got in there the night before a game. I'll make this real short. I sit down, just drove through a snowstorm. I just want a beer and a burger and watch some hockey. And the place is packed. And – all of a sudden, Don Cherry comes on, and it's real, it's real loud. They had the volume down and some music going, but the second Don Cherry came on, the music was gone, the volume on the TV goes up, and it goes silent, and everybody is standing to attention listening to Don Cherry. I will never forget that moment as long as I live when I really saw the impact he had on that audience. It, it, hey, was, it was something. On, sa on Saturday night, you could be coaching in any of the Canadian cities, and I was fortunate enough to do it in a lot of them. And on a Saturday night, when it came time to coach's corner, guys would sneak into the dressing room, not in the dressing room, in the trainer's room, off the dressing room to listen to coach's corner. So all these guys, I don't listen to it. Malarkey. They oh, listen. They listen. You know how many wonderful, those delicious hot dogs I had in the press room in Montreal? <laughs> the center watching Don Cherry with a group of reporters circled around. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Uh, All right. What, we got time for a few here, Pierre? Yes, 100%. Why not? Let's do it. We'll yes. a few questions here because I know they're waiting. Uh, let's pull some up, guys. Alex Evanoski says, what do the Bruins do now? Do you go with centers and forwards you have? Does Noah Hannafin become a target to just double down on defense? Uh, Pierre and I actually been talking about this today. I'm going to be writing something tonight for Boston Hockey Now on that, but just – to give you a sweet little preview, I mean, I I think they're definitely still interested in Hannafin. I don't know if they're going to meet the price, but one guy that Pierre and I keep coming back to, and we already alluded to it before we brought on Mr. John Shannon, is Sean Monaghan. And I, I just think, in let I don't know, I can't I can't think off the top of my head what other top tier number one center is out there that we know of on the market. I don't think there is that we've People heard. People don't give those away. Well, Boston did away. once, Joe Thornton, but yeah. most and of the those, time those, they don't give those, those away. Are, those, those are draft day things if they're going to happen or yeah. around the agency. Yeah. So I look at this as like, that's a perfect guy to move up and down. You know, Jim Montgomery likes to move the lines around. He just could be one of those versatile pieces to put in here, put in there. So I, I would be after Hannafin, and I would try to get into the Monaghan sweepstakes. But if the price point gets too high, you just walk away. Your team's pretty good as it is right now. Yeah. Great question. It was a great question. Very solid. Yeah. And the other thing, too, remember all the cap money that Don Sweeney's going to have this offseason. So he's in no rush to go yeah. nuts. Yeah. All right, next question. Who do you guys think would win a series between Knights and Oilers? Ooh. That's no, right right now, I, I don't really have a problem answering that. I'm, I'm going to take Vegas. And the reason why I'm going to take Vegas is they're still defensively better than Edmonton. Mm -hmm. 
I think they can play more of a matchup game than Edmonton. And I think it's hard to score your way out of problems in the playoffs. Used to be able to do that. I don't think you can do that as much anymore. I'm with you on that. I agree. All right. What do we got? Uh, oh, yeah. Let's go to Evans. We got that video clip question that we wanted to do, Pierre, which you thought was a great one. So let's go I to that. I right like here. it. I like it. Guys, normally I'm coming to you from icy Norway, but this week I'm in the sunny Canary Islands in Spain. Uh, hey, the other week when I was talking about coaching storylines and all the great Jack Adams candidates this season, I didn't even mention Chris Knobloch, who I'm sure is on a lot of people's lists now. Um, but this week I'm curious to hear from Pierre. Um, tell us how trades actually go down. What are the conversations like between general managers? How do they establish that they're buyers or sellers on the trading market? Because I read fans posting about trades on social media and typically their expectations and understanding uh, to me, it seems completely out of whack, but I don't know much better. My understanding of how trades happen comes from watching Brad Pitt and Moneyball. So I'd love to hear maybe some stories or reflections help us uh, ordinary fans understand how trades happen. What, Great question. That man is really, obviously, he's very talented at what he does for work. Um, and he really, that's a fantastic question. So the anatomy of a trade can be a lot different for team from team to team, but I'll just kind of make it simple. You have to identify organizational strength and organizational weakness. You have to identify potential opponents in the playoffs and whether you're actually going to be in the playoffs or not. Or am I going to be a buyer? Or am I going to be a seller? There's so many different things that go into your decision making. Then it comes down to what's marketplace. So if I want Jimmy Murphy and I saw that um, John Shannon was traded, who's the same player as Jimmy Murphy for a first round pick, I know that that's kind of the established market. I'm going to have to probably pay a first-round pick to get Jimmy Murphy. But let's say John Shannon got three components, a first-round pick, uh, a second-round pick, and a draft pick or, or a top prospect. I may not want to spend that much to go out and get John Shannon. I may not want to spend that much to go out and get Jimmy Murphy. So that's where the, the horse trading comes in. And – I've said this to you a million times, Jimmy, and I learned this from Scotty Bowman, who learned it from Sam Pollock, who learned it from Frank Selke Sr. The best general managers, the very, very best, they know the value of every single player on their team league-wide because the value changes from team to team. Mm -hmm. Some teams may be really deep at center, but they need an extra guy for the playoffs. Some teams may not be deep enough on defense but have an unbelievable prospect pool, but you have a ton of defense and you can sell them that defenseman for their prospects because now all of a sudden, you've been, since 2005 and 06, you've been dealing with a salary cap. Yeah. So I remember back in the day, teams like Detroit and teams like New York, oh, yeah. teams like Montreal, teams like Toronto, they, Chicago, they could go out and spend as much as they want. It didn't matter. Nobody was there to stop them. Yeah. But now everybody plays by the same rules. So that's why there's so much parity, number one. And that's why it's kind of hard to consummate trade because the cap well, kicks. And one thing too, Pierre, that you said in our off-air conversation too, I wanted you to bring up to them too, is how important you were just saying every GM needs to know the value of his own players really well. So on that respect, maybe tell our viewers and listeners too how important the scouts, the boots on the ground are yeah. uh, that you have at these games all over North America in the press box, ears open, networking. How important is that? Very important, and I'm glad you brought it up because that wasn't something I wanted to include, but the pro scouts in particular, they can be a conduit from the management office to the next team. 
and maybe there had been no phone calls between the general managers, but the scouts have a very good relationship and they kind of set deals up. I don't want to say the names of, of the scouts that I've dealt with over time, obviously. Yeah. I don't want to get them in trouble, but more times than not, a lot of the trades, especially earlier in my career, they were made just because you'd have a conversation with a scout from another team about, hey, I like what your team does there, but our team doesn't do it as well. Or, you know what, our team's much better than your team at this. And they would give it back and forth, and it was really good. You could find out what teams yeah. thought of your team, and you could find out what they thought of their team. And yeah. so – there's a little art to the deal there where the scouts, the hardcore boots on the ground do matter a lot. They do. Yeah, I don't want to reveal them either, Pierre. I apologize. I just wanted to bring them up because I, I just feel like, and I've said this many times, I've said I think there's going to be a place for them maybe, but it might be too hard in the Hall of Fame. I just hate that scouts get undervalued. I'm a big scouts guy. And, and, and I know, I know the work that goes in on their end to get to, to the goal line, you know, to yeah. get to the goal line and make those trades go through. So, I just like that people know the hard work they do. Yeah. All right. Let's go to another question. Jeffrey B. Should Monaghan stay healthy? We talking a first and B level prospect? Question mark. B level. No, we're talking a, a first for sure. Now that so the market's been established by Elias Lindholm. The market's mm-hmm. been established. So you know, back in the day before Lindholm was even in Calgary, Sean Monahan was a better player than him. That's right. <laughs> just a, it's just a fact of life. And then Monahan got hurt; things didn't work out as well, and Lindholm superseded him. And obviously, the best year Lindholm ever had in his career was playing with Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau. That line was ridiculous. It was the best line in the National Hockey League. Um, I would say first round pick is, is in play. And I would say there's a potential for a prospect. I don't think you're going to get a, a real player. If you get a real player, you're not going to get another asset. Yeah. I think, you know what I mean? I think if you're getting a real player, that's going to be the one asset you're going to get. But if you get a first round pick, you're probably going to get a prospect too. It should be interesting. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to another question here. Randy Workman, you guys think Philly is a buyer at the deadline? Too, too early to tell right now. They're floundering. They've lost five in a row. Uh, I feel bad for John Tortorella. You can see the Carter Hart thing had an effect, obviously, on their team. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see the injuries. Uh, that's been a problem for them, especially to Owen Tippett. Um, their defense is starting to fall back a little bit. They're not nearly as in-your-face as they were earlier. I think fatigue's part of that. And they've overachieved. So – I think if they continue on this pace, they probably sell a little bit. They don't buy. Mm-hmm. They will be an interesting team to watch. And I think in a, you know in the coming weeks, Pierre, maybe we should start identifying some teams for our viewers and listeners that yeah. we think could come out of nowhere and be movers and shakers on the market. Yeah, no, I agree. That's a good. That's a good thought. Yeah, really good. We'll go to that. All right, well, guys, that's going to wrap it up for today. Listen, we want to thank John Shannon, Pierre. Thanks for setting that up. What a what a great interview he was. He's really good. a pleasure He's talking good. to him. Learned so much. I mean, that's what I love about being on this podcast is what we learn. And we learn it as well, not just our viewers and listeners. Uh, thank the production crew. And thank you, the viewers and listeners. We appreciate the questions as always. This has been another edition of the Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. He's Pierre McGuire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. Talk to you tomorrow on On Campus Friday with head coach Brad Berry of the University of North Dakota. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.